With the 25th pick in the NFL Draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select. You're listening to the Journey to the Draft podcast. Welcome to the Journey to the Draft podcast. I'm Fran Duffy, and I'm excited because this is going to be a fun show. We're, in, we're right in the thick of things here in Eagles training camp. We're, what, practice five here today. Daniel Jeremiah was in the house from NFL Network, so Ben Fennel and I caught up with DJ. We talked all about the scouting process this time of year, getting ready to get you know for things to get going in college football. So we'll have that in Mr. Relevant at the end of the show, but... First, we're going to kick things off with our friend Tony Pauline, Draft Buzz. We're breaking down the ACC. If you missed last week's show, talking about all the top players in the Big Ten, you do not want to miss that. Go back, check that out before things get going here in a few weeks with college football. But today, we are talking about the defending national champion Clemson Tigers and the rest of the Atlantic Coast Conference. Who do you need to know going into the 2019 college football year? Let's get things started with Draft Buzz. Now it's time for Draft Buzz. Well, let's welcome him back in, Tony Pauline from DraftAnalyst.com. Tony, today we're breaking down the ACC, and as always, I'm going to ask you, the top prospect overall player from the Atlantic Coast Conference, who is it based off what you've heard so far? Well, I think overall this is going to be another big year for Clemson in the NFL draft as it was last year. What, three three players taken in the top uh, 17 selection, all defensive linemen? Uh, but I think the top player uh, on my board, anyway, is Travis Etienne. I, I absolutely love him. He's an explosive ball carrier. Not the biggest guy under 200 pounds, but he's fast. He runs hard. He knows how to protect himself. Some scouts grade him as a second rounder. I think he's a first rounder. He shows the ability to beat defenders into the open field, can run to daylight, has the ability to create yardage. Terrific pass catcher out of the backfield. Runs hard on the inside. He's got the, enough quickness and agility to uh, to turn the perimeter. I don't think he's a back for everybody because of his size or because of, uh, of the lack of size. I think when he eventually enters the draft, he'll be over 200 pounds. But I think in the right system, this kid's a dynamo, and I think he's gonna he's worth uh, a mid to mid uh, first round selection. Interesting. Yeah, I completely agree, Tony. It's tough to look at Travis Etienne and say this kid is not the best player in the conference. Yeah. He's electric. He's a home run hitter. He had 23 runs over 20 yards last year, which only trailed uh, Daryl Henderson at Memphis, who is another explosive runner. But I was very surprised when I put on his tape. I thought we were just going to see a guy that wanted to bounce it outside and find the daylight to use his speed. But he'll put his foot in the ground, run between the tackles. He'll finish runs. He could pick up his legs and step through tackles from safeties and actually has some pretty good contact balance through tacklers and arm tackles as well to create some extra yardage for himself. A little bit uh, confused on what they're going to do with him in the pass game. Mm-hmm. I like to see him get him into open spaces a little bit easier for him. Some him screen a wheel game, route, man. maybe down the field, yeah. maybe show how his hands can yeah. be down the field in some isolation routes against linebackers and things like that, but obviously an explosive player and if anybody wants to see an entertaining film, throw on his high school tape, 115 <laughs> touchdowns Touchdowns, 8,000 total yards at Jennings High School. Very, very entertaining player. Uh, Tavon Coney, the linebacker from Notre Dame, told me he was the toughest player. That he did not the best. Like I, I couched it. I said, who? Not who's the most talented? Who is the toughest player? And he said it was Travis Etienne for a guy who's 215 pounds, five foot ten. He's a, a fun player to watch. And he's got the consistency in his game. He's one of five players last year with 1,000 yards and an 8.0 average. It's crazy. So he's breaking off very productive runs at a high rate. And he's not the just way I, a, The way I describe him is I, I think he's a much tougher version of C.J. Spiller. 
Yeah, when I scouted C.J. Yep. Spiller, what really annoyed me about C.J. Spiller was he would finish runs, he would finish plays by running out of bounds. Mm. Not ATN. He keeps no. it between the, he keeps it up the, between the, uh, between the, the, the flanks. He turns it upfield and he tries to get as mu- pick up as much yardage from every time the ball's in his hands as possible. Yeah, well, a finalist for the Doak Walker Award last year. I would imagine he'll be in the in the mix for that award. Has some this Chris year. Johnson qualities as well, with a little bit of an upright style and the elite home run speed. It's very deceptive the way he runs, puts his foot in the ground, and is gone in Jamal a flash. Jamal Charles too. Jamal Charles as well. Yeah. Yep. All right, so clean sweep for us. We all think uh, Travis Etienne, number one prospect, the junior running back from Clemson. All right, let's go to the top offensive senior, Tony. Who do you got here? The top offensive senior in the ACC. You know, I'm going to go to a nondescript offensive lineman, go back to Sim- uh, go back to Clemson, and a guy who's opening up the holes for ATN. That's John Simpson, the guard, six four and a half, three hundred thirty pounds, more of a plotter, not a guy that's great on, uh, in motion on his feet, but a guy that just annihilates opponents at the line of scrimmage. Long arms, big hands. He plays big, tough, nasty football. You know, once he's engaged in a block with opponent, the opponent is dead on arrival. They they got no chance. He and he works to finish his blocks. He works to annihilate opponents. He's not bad on the second level. It's not his forte, and I don't think he's going to be a real good zone blocking offensive lineman. But if you're looking for you know a mash or a Pittsburgh Steeler type of offensive lineman, I think John Simpson's going to be that type of guy in the third round. Yeah, so he's the left guard. I'm going to go with the right tackle for Clemson, and that's Tremaine Ankrum, 6'2", 3'12". And so going in, I'm like, all right, this guy, you know, he might be playing tackle, but he's going to have to slide inside. But the more I watched him, the more I thought, you know what, this guy can play tackle. He's really, really good in pass protection, really confident, very calm and under control, never really looked like he was rushed or hurried or stressed. Really, really interesting player to watch. And the more I watched, I thought, you know what, I think this guy can play on the outside. And he's really, like I said, really good in pass pro. He can get a little bit better in the run game. He's not the most powerful people mover. He's not, that's not really his game, but uh, a really interesting player that I think has starting traits in the NFL. You know, I'm not really going to argue with Simpson or Ankrum uh, as the top offensive senior, but just to round out the conversation of seniors in the Clemson offensive line, the Gage Cervenka kid is very interesting at Clemson. Mm. He's 6'3, 330, has played center, has played some right guard, was a bit of a rotational player last year. I think only had seven starts and we even come in and out of games with yep. uh, some rotational players yep. behind him but he's a senior he's a converted defensive tackle he was on the freak list this year with uh, impressive workouts putting up 225 43 times he's a prolific high school wrestler 199 wins to only one loss four-time state heavyweight champion in South Carolina, and you see it on the tape with the grip strength, the torque, his ability to move players off the ball. He's a bit heavy-legged. He's a bit... He struggles with speed and quickness at times. He's not too rangy, but he is powerful, and he is nasty. And you could see the wrestling background once he gets his hands on somebody. Just a question of why was he rotational last year, but he's veteran. He has some experience. I'm hoping he can lock down that right guard position for a, a consistent stretch in 2019. So we pick three seniors on the offensive line for Clemson. They have a fourth one, Sean Pollard, who was a center this year, it looks like. Also played right guard and right tackle last year. So it took me about five hours to get through the Clemson.
Clemson offensive line. So that's uh, four day. seniors returning on yes. Clemson's offensive line, a very veteran group in front of ETN and Trevor Lawrence, well, which is a dangerous mix well, and with all those athletes <laughs> and the acclimate of obviously Clemson football. Well, we're going to talk about those guys in a second because they're uh, one of those programs that really doesn't have these elite seniors hanging around anymore. If you have this talent, you're probably gone as a junior. They're starting to have some experience return in, in the trenches where you want it most. They already had uh, Christian Wilkins and all those guys yep. return last year. Now they're veteran on the offensive line. Kind of a scary recipe. Yeah, Tony, you've said this in the past that Dabo Sweeney is really, really good at getting underclassmen to come back for their senior seasons. We'll see if he's able to do it with uh, any of these guys we're going to talk about. Who are some of the intriguing offensive underclassmen in the ACC? Well, let's go back to Clemson. Amari <laughs> Rogers, the receiver. Uh, I mean, they got two receivers there that are that are noteworthy and that are going to impact the draft. And Rogers is the, is my higher rated of the two. I mean, he's a he's a smaller guy, or a shorter guy, I should say. He's not small, under five foot ten. He goes about two hundred five, two hundred ten pounds. He's he's incredibly quick. He's able to beat opponents off the line of scrimmage, which gets him immediate separation. He's a good route runner, catches the ball very well. I don't. He doesn't have a true vertical speed, but he is a good downfield threat. He's going to help out as a return specialist. So I, I think uh, Rodgers is one of those guys where you can line him up in the flanks in the NFL. You can line him up in the slot. You know, you could you you do do different things with him. He'd be be do a good job for you returning punts. And that versatility is key. And and the bottom line is he's a very good developing receiver. Well, we might as well stay in the same huddle and talk about T. Higgins, his teammate, who I'm assuming you're referencing. Every bit of 6'4", 220, which you think big, tall, broad, but this kid is twitchy as well and runs great routes, explosive speed, very good off the line in his releases. Had 12 touchdowns last year. He's tall. He's long. We'd like to see him improve his yards after catch and doing some Mm -hmm. more things with the ball in his hands. But just while we're in this conversation, the whole analytic term of production share, I think, is one of the more overrated terms Mm. and things that people are evaluating because some of these offenses are very well distributed and there's talent all over the place, whether it's Clemson, Ohio State, Alabama. They're going to throw around the ball all over the offense. So if if not one of these players aren't dominating the production share, I think that's okay because there's talent all over the place, and they want to keep all these guys happy and make sure you're feeding all these athletes. And let's not forget Justin Ross, the true sophomore. Exactly, and then ETN, and they have an exciting young tight end coming up as well. So just because they're not dominating the production share doesn't mean they're not quality players. Yeah, I'm going to go with an underclassman running back, Florida State, Cam Akers, who... You know, he needs some work. There are some times where I look at him and I, I think he like kind of toes that line, Ben, between being patient and indecisive, right? In the hole. There are some times where I'm like, man, like that was a really good run. And others where I'm like, man, I wish he would just hit it a little bit faster. But from a physical standpoint, really quick, dynamic, can make plays in the passing game. Uh, if you watched that that last week of the regular season, I think you were there. You did that game, Ben, yeah, where Florida, he, Florida he caught that yep. route down the rail in the back of the end zone. Really impressive catch. So uh, he can do some things for an offense. And obviously, Florida State really struggled last year. We'll see how they fare this year. Uh, Tony, let's go to the defensive side. Top defensive senior from the ACC. You know, keep an eye on Miles Dorn, the defensive back from North Carolina. He was a guy who, off of 2017, I graded graded him as a potential top 42 choice. Kind of took a step back last year. He's big. He's explosive. He's uh, a dominant run defender who can also play the pass. I grade him as a second rounder. There are some scouts out there who also grade him as a second rounder. I talked to people at the Shrine game when when we were there last year, Fran, about Miles Dorn. They said, you know what? When he wants to play, he is a complete defensive back at safety who can also line up over the slot receiver Mm. and can cause an impact. 
The problem is, is he doesn't always want to play. And we saw what happened with North Carolina, who at times last year was unwatchable. They now have Mac Brown coming in, into this scene there. Yeah. You know, Mac Brown is the kind of guy that will kick, give uh, Dorn a boot in the rear end and get him to play up to his potential. And if he does, I could absolutely see Miles Dorn making a big move up draft boards. Uh, I'm going to go with a guy that really shocked people late in the fall last year when he went back to school because a lot of people you know, had him in mock drafts as a first-round pick, and that's Virginia corner Bryce Hall, 6'2", 200 pounds. I talked with Kelvin Harmon, the former NC State receiver that's now with Washington, uh, and he told me he was the toughest kid he went up against last year, ACC, full of talented defensive backs. And uh, Bryce Hall, a guy that I think is very, very intriguing. I remember talking with Juan Thornhill. He actually wrote a very – very in-depth scouting report. Not wrote, but they explained to me the the ins and outs of Bryce Hall's game. I'm going to be writing a piece on that in the, in the coming weeks, so I don't want to give too much of that away. But Bryce Hall, for me, a guy I haven't personally studied yet, but everything that I've been told, to keep an eye out for this kid, the corner from Virginia. Nice plug there. Um, <laughs> but it's crazy we're at this point now with these Miami linebackers. They're all seniors. They've That's all right. been on the field since yeah. true freshmen. And I'm talking Michael Pinckney, Zach McLeod, but the best of the group is Shaq Quarterman, yeah. who is a big boy. He's 6'1". 240 is a great blitzer has some coverage instincts in underneath zones very physical player he's been on the field as a true freshman he's a bit heavier than NFL standards want as these inside linebackers this is about 10 15 years ago we might mm. be talking about uh Shaq Quarterman as a maybe a first or a second round pick but yeah. just so that that's not really the direction of NFL linebackers these days I'm not sure where he fits into the NFL but a productive player an experienced player I've had a chance to see him five times in person now over the last three years so some Someone that's obviously been on the field a lot and has a lot of production. I think he's more the uh, the better of the prospect of the three uh, that joined Miami at the same time. Have all been on the field since Drew Freshman. It feels like forever. We've been talking about these no uh, these kids from Miami. All right, Tony. Let's go to underclassmen now in the ACC. Again, we're not saying that these guys are definitely going to be in the 2020 class, but who has piqued your interest now from the underclassmen ranks in that conference? I love Isaiah Simmons of Clemson. I've loved him for two years. When I watched him as a redshirt freshman when he played safety, he just caught my eye because of his size and his ability to dominate opponents. They moved him to outside linebacker last year, and he uses athleticism to make plays in space to cover a tremendous amount of area. Uh, his instincts aren't great, but they're not bad either. He gets from point A to point B very quickly. He forces the action up the field. He shows solid ball skills. Sort of like that, what we're seeing more and more, uh, that sort of that linebacker safety hybrid type player, the Jabril Peppers type of player. Uh, I think he's going to be a great scheme fit uh, at the next level. Right now, I have him graded as a second round choice, but I could see him improving. You know, a lot will depend on his ultimate size and speed numbers, but Simmons has been a real good player at different positions the past two years, and I think he has a tremendous amount of upside. So I'm going to go with Simmons as well, and a guy that I haven't studied yet, but a couple quick nuggets. Uh, was on Bruce Feldman's freak list, the Bruce Feldman from The Athletic, released top 50 freak athletes in college football. Simmons on that list, 11-foot broad jump, 4.39 in the 40-yard dash, 40 inches vertical jump, just an absolute monster, an alien playing uh, at the second level for Clemson. And I actually talked with Wake Forest's uh, slot receiver Greg Dorch at the Combine this spring. He's a small, undersized, dynamic, quick slot receiver. Everything funneled through him in that Demon Deacon offense last year. I asked him who was the best player he faced. Oh, you know, thinking I'm going to get a safety or slot corner. He said, no, it was Isaiah Simmons. So you're talking about a guy, a linebacker in space against a dynamic slot receiver like Dorch. I think that kind of speaks to the skill set this kid brings. 
Yeah, I'm going to go with a player that really stood out this past spring when I was studying Virginia secondary members, uh, Juan Thornhill and Tim Harris. Okay. And they have this outside linebacker, Charles Snowden, who's 6'7", 225. That's what? 6'7", 225. It's like Deion Jordan. He was a high school receiver linebacker. Very okay. strange kind of upbringing acclimate. Uh, he played all over the field, an off-ball linebacker. He was a hang defender. He was a QB spy. He was a pass rusher. He kind of plays in a mold of a Brian Burns type of player, but much taller, much lankier, and played all over the field. And just a very intriguing player. I wrote down some names like Deion Jordan, how he was used at Oregon almost as a slot defender, yeah. an off-ball linebacker. I'm not sure where you play him, but he has some very impressive plays in the past game, has good hands, good instincts, rangy, athletic, and just an awkward body type that you don't typically see on defenses, especially in the middle of the field at 6'7", 225. I don't know where you're going to project him in the NFL. For all I know, he could end up being a tight end or a receiver right. at the end of the day when it's all said and done, but a very, very intriguing player that I think fits the category. How about uh, Ogum yeah, yeah, I have, I have Snowden right now graded as a fifth-round pick, and, okay. and I think what's going to happen with him, I think he's more athletic, much more athletic and, mo more, and quicker than the kid from Oregon who was uh, overrated. A lot of people thought he was going to be a first-round pick at this point in time last year. I think what's going to happen with Snowden is he's got natural athleticism. He plays in the low four sevens. And just as he physically matures, as he gets you know a, a little bit older, because right now he's only a third-year junior, mm -hmm. his body's going to fill out. I think he's going to be he's going to be a, a terrific three-four outside linebacker that will not will not be a liability in space if you want him to cover uh, tight ends or running backs in coverage. All right, well let's go to a, a sleeper from the ACC, Tony. Who do you got for us here? Carlos Basham Jr. from Wake Forest. Now, if his last name Basham sounds familiar to right. you, it should because he is the cousin of Terrell Basham, yeah. uh, former, formerly of the uh, University of Ohio, drafted by the Colts, now plays with the Jets. But his cousin, Carlos Basham Jr., who is a, a fourth-year junior at Wake Forest, who has a lot, has a good amount of NFL talent, he's a better player. He's a better pass rusher. He goes about six foot three, 270 pounds. Runs and plays in low four nines. He's a terrific pass rusher. He makes plays in space. He's not, he's not a liability against the run. He can improve in that area, but he does a solid job against the run. I, I think he's a guy who's very good now. He's got a lot of upside. He's got the measurables to be a real good defensive end at the next level. A natural pass rusher who, as he gets physically stronger and as he matures, will just enhance his play against the uh, against the run. A guy who right now I grade as a potential third-round choice. You know, it's not often that you find sleepers being seniors, and I'm actually going to go with two teammates that had 10 sacks each last year, but that's from Syracuse University, and these edge rushers, Alton Robinson and Kendall Coleman, that I'm just not hearing a lot of buzz about or getting a lot of attention, at least from the draft Knicks online, some articles that I'm reading, but this is two teammates coming off of double-digit sack years, and they each are very technical pass rushers. They're not just power rushers or guys looking to turn the corner. They have a bag of pass rush moves, exhibit pass rush plans. I love Alton Robinson. He's a guy who can really flip his hips and turn the corner with a great first step. But Kendall Coleman is very, very interesting. He has a variety of moves and fakes and a great pass rush plan. Was the number two defensive end in Indiana, coming off of five straight state titles as a high school player, so a very successful career. 12 tackles for loss as well. 11 sacks as a freshman. So uh, he's also been someone that's been on the field and productive. And he's not someone that just wants to get the edge. He knows how to set up the edge with fake long arm moves, a little inside out moves, very twitchy, very rangy. I really expect both these players to dominate what looks like kind of a weak 
ACC tackle group this year. Yeah, you, uh, you've talked very highly of those two kids. Let me, uh, I'm going to go to a guy that if you had said three years ago that this guy was going to be a sleeper, People would have looked at you like you had three heads. And this is Levante Taylor, the defensive back from Florida State, was the number one DB in the country coming out of Virginia Beach. And we've talked a lot, Ben, about uh, the talent that comes out of Virginia Beach every year. Uh, this kid is a really interesting athlete, was a freak list addition for, uh, for Bruce Feldman for what he can do from an athletic standpoint. He's moving from corner to kind of a hybrid safety nickel linebacker slot player role for that defense. So he's going to play mostly on the inside. I do think that bodes well for him going to the NFL because I think that's really – his best role moving forward, but it's going to be interesting because he ha- he's coming off a year where he was banged up most of the year last year. Florida State wasn't good. They missed a bowl game, so they aren't really talking about Levante Taylor. It's good. I think he's flying a little bit under the radar. Not that he's going to be a you know first or second round pick, but I think that this kid's got a lot of upside. Uh, Tony, let me ask you about uh, most to prove now, a, a player that uh, really has something to prove, whether they're coming off injury. Something tells me uh, you might be talking about a guy we may have just been talking about. Yeah, I don't want to be redundant here, but my guy <laughs> most to prove is Levante Taylor. You know, you, you talk about his athleticism. I, I just don't see it on the field. Is he a cornerback? Is he a safety? I agree with you. You know, things were so mixed up last year at Florida State. It was tough to get a grip on those on some of those guys. Some scouts grade him as a fifth rounder. Others grade him as a uh, as an uh, as a priority free agent. I have him in the seventh round. Uh, you know, I just don't know. I don't know what you're going to do with Levante Taylor. He's got to show that he's more than just an athlete on the football field. He's got to prove to me anyway, and uh, and to some scouts, that he's a good football player. Struggles making plays with his back to the ball. Granted, he was injured last year. You know, hopefully he he gets back to full health and, and we we can see what he can do on the field. But in that aspect, that's why he has the most to prove to me. Yeah, we'll see if the injury had something to do with how he moved last time. I was afraid he was on a similar career arc to the uh, kid McFadden uh, a couple right. years earlier that had all those picks the year before and then really fell off into his junior or senior year. Yep. And I don't think he ended up being drafted. But I'm going to go with Levante Taylor's teammate, Marvin Wilson, the big defensive tackle, five-star, was the number one player in the country. He's now a true junior. And I think this is the time for him to shine. And he's dominant. He's explosive. He's powerful. He's 6'5", 317, a little bit taller than traditional trench players, but this kid has some juice and some wiggle and some nasty to get into opposing backfields. I feel like we're using the Chris Jones comp from the University or, uh, from Mississippi State, now mm. with the Kansas City Chiefs, a little bit too often for these taller trench players, but I really see a similar style player, the way he uses his hands, can bull rush, has the power, but also has the wiggle to squeeze into the gaps and get into backfields. Been a little bit quiet his first two years as Florida State's defense has really kind of dropped off and Brian Burns and some other guys have kind of taking the spotlight away. I think this is his year to really make a statement uh, and get some attention on the national spotlight. Yeah, I think for me, I'm going to look at, at a player that's been really productive over the last couple of years, and we know, you know, we've talked over the last few weeks about all the talented running backs in this in this draft class, and whether they're seniors, juniors, redshirt sophomores, ton of talented backs. So you've got to be able to set yourself apart. You've got to be able to do a lot of different things. The question I have about Boston College running back A.J. Dillon, can he impact the passing game? This is a big grinder. I mean, six foot, hovers right around 250. 
but only eight career catches. So the big question for him is going to be, what can he do for you on third down? Can he improve as a pass protector? Can he do anything as a pass catcher? Those are going to be the big questions with him, but a guy that there's no question about off the field. I talked with a couple of his teammates this spring, uh, Chris Lindstrom, a first-round pick for the Falcons, Lucas Dennis, the, C- the DB. Both of them just glowed about this kid and what he brings from a work ethic standpoint, how he is as a teammate. Everything from a football character standpoint is there. What can he do for you on third down? I think that's the thing that uh, he's going to have to prove this uh, this fall. And just want to throw in really quick, as you threw in a plug earlier, I'm going to throw in a plug. My week one assignment with ESPN is Boise State, Florida State. Kind mm-hmm. of an interesting, unique matchup, but it's a very veteran offensive line at Boise State. Two returning players that yeah. were first team all-conference. Very interested to see the battle with them and Marvin Wilson in week good one. Point. Yeah. Yep. Alright, so let's go to the next one here. Uh, our last category, newcomer on the scene. Who's a guy that we're not talking about yet for whatever reason, but we're going to know the, his name very, very soon, Tony. I'm going to go with Trevon Hill of Miami of Florida, yeah, who transferred from Virginia Tech. I mean, if you watch the 2017 Virginia Tech film, Trevon Hill w- w- was a monster pass rusher in that in that typical Virginia Tech mold—a little bit undersized, more linebacker, si- uh, more linebacker size, more linebacker build than defensive end, but just was impossible to stop out of a three-point stance. I had very high hopes from going into the 2018 season. Uh, I heard there were a few off the field issues. I heard there was a problem in the locker room after Virginia Tech lost to Old Dominion. Trayvon Hill was eventually dismissed from Virginia Tech. He's shown up this year. He's going to be playing or he's expected to be playing for the Miami Hurricanes. I think he's going to be great in that sort of in that system. I think they're going to let him run free, and, and, you know, with their new coach there and, and basically uh, just decimate the opponent's game plan. So Trevon Hill this year in the Miami Hurricanes uh, uniform expected to be on the field. And I expect him to take it up another notch compared to what he did at Virginia Tech, which was all good. Yeah, I just want to say, I think with the new coaching staff down at Miami is going to serve him well, you know, having Manny Diaz there and kind of just fresh, have a fresh start with a new coaching staff and kind of a a blank slate. Well, another guy that they got this offseason, we'll say in free agency, because that's basically what it's turned into, (laughs) uh, is uh, Jalen Phillips, a former five-star recruit. He was a number, a top three recruit in the country, regardless of position, when he was coming out of high school. Goes to UCLA as the number one defensive lineman in America. Had to retire, you know, he kind of quasi retired because of injuries this past fall. Then he shows back up in Miami. So now he's going to be there with Trayvon Hill, with those stud linebackers we talked about earlier. Uh, it's going to be an interesting front seven there. Jalen Phillips was a, for, a previous freak list candidate there with, uh, with Bruce Feldman, talked about all the different things he can do from an athletic standpoint. If healthy, with him and Trayvon Hill, that's a, an interesting duo there for the Hurricanes. A lot of new faces down there in Miami with uh, Tate Martell coming over as well. Right. But my newcomer on the scene, who was actually there last year, but I don't think he really got the exposure uh, I think he deserves, is Ryan Willis, quarterback at Virginia Tech, who is a Kansas transfer. He sat out 2017, played a couple games as a true freshman at University of Kansas, set a freshman passing record over there, then transferred over. But this kid's tall. He's got a strong arm. He's 6'4", just under 220. 24 touchdowns last year, nine interceptions, very efficient quarterback that can play from the pocket with a strong arm. I think he could really kind of put himself into the conversation with Trevor Lawrence and just being one of the more dominant mm. quarterbacks in the conference. Uh, it's uh, it's going to be a very, very competitive conference in the ACC, as it always is. Tony, appreciate the time, as always, here. We're uh, we're talking the big boys next week. we got the SEC. We're excited to talk to you about some of the top players down south next week. Look forward to it. 
Well, just outstanding stuff there from Tony. And now I teased it earlier. We're going to talk here with Daniel Jeremiah this week on Mr. Relevant, really just kind of talking big picture. Yeah, we'll talk about what he saw today at Eagles training camp practice, but really want to focus in on the draft process, especially this time of year. How do you look at players? Maybe get an eye on some of the guys that DJ has already looked at, including some players in the out west, out west in the Pac-12. So let's get to that now on Mr. Relevant. It's time for Mr. Relevant. We're really happy this week to bring in NFL analyst Daniel Jeremiah from the NFL Network at Move the Sticks uh, on Twitter. Daniel, welcome to the show, man. It's hot here, boys. Yeah, I'm not going to lie to you. It's a little toasty. It's nice in the studio, yeah, though. It feels it is. great in here. Yeah, it was not so nice uh, outside. It was, uh, it was a hot one out at uh, Eagles training camp. Uh, Tuesday practice. DJ, what did you, uh, what'd you take away? Well, I think, look, there's a lot of things you can take away from the practice today, but to me, just the overall depth of this football team. Mm. Um, and you go from camp to camp, you're going to see certain positions, okay, they're, they're in a pretty good spot here. But I don't know if there is a team in the league that's in such a good spot at so many different positions. Mm. And when you can go through this offensive line that everybody knows about, all the, the talent they have there and that, that too deep, the tight end group is deep. Uh, the running back group is one of the best mm-hmm. in the league with all different kind of flavors yeah. and styles from this group. Uh, Miles Sanders having a good day. The receiving core is deep. Um, you know, I think if you're kind of saying, okay, what would concern you or where would you keep your eyes if you're an Eagles fan if, if, uh, you know, if things don't go well? To me, it's just the secondary with so many guys trying to get back and healthy yep. and in the mix. Um, that, to me, we'll see how this group continues to grow, especially on the outside. Yeah, it did. with the injuries last year, you got to see a lot of guys step in and play, especially in that secondary, and same thing this summer so far. So it'll, it'll be interesting to see uh, how these guys look. I always the love the perspective of guys who cover the NFL from a national standpoint because you get to go to multiple camps yeah. and see and feel the different personalities of each camp because yeah. they're all run differently. And they all take on different tones and certain coaches like it certain ways and different styles and how long the sessions are and things like that. Just really interesting perspective. Anytime I get a chance to watch, you know, you or Sean O'Hare or Brian Baldy or kind of just uh, make the camp circuit. One of the things I love in talking to Coach Peterson uh, before practice that they do here is it's one's ones, you know. Yep. And and I never thought of it from this perspective. A lot of times you say, hey, you know, iron sharpens iron, right? Good on good. That's how we're going to get better. And he actually brought up a great point is, ones-on-ones, you know how to protect one another because Mm. you guys are all starters. You're all going to be on this football team. You're not chasing a roster spot, which could lead you to do something desperate or reckless. (laughs) So you protect one another. And I never really computed that of the ones-on-ones another benefit of doing that. Sure. Look, they've uh, they've thought everything through and how they operate here with the Eagles. All right, well, let's get into some other topics here. Obviously, here on the Journey to the Draft podcast, I want to talk to you uh, about some of the stuff you do from a, a college standpoint. Yeah. Let's start first. Uh, if you guys don't listen, I, I listen. I know Ben listens. The Move the Sticks podcast, you guys do awesome stuff. You and Bucky Brooks every week. And uh, this summer, you guys have done the position prototype series, which has been a lot of fun, uh, just breaking down different positions, what teams are looking for. Uh, what went into the, the formulation, the creation of that series, and what have you gotten out of it? Sure. Look, it's been a lot of fun, and to be totally honest with you, friend, it was like a it was a selfish decision because <laughs> you know, hey, how, I you know we always want to learn and grow, mm-hmm. and and this the scouting world is constantly evolving and changing, and trends are, are new. So um, I just kind of said, let's let's bring in people and let's bring in a wide variety of people. Let's focus on one position per episode and just kind of take a little bit of a deep scouting mm-hmm. dive. So you know, to talk pass rushers, and you can bring in a Willie McGinnis and a Demarcus Ware that have done it on the grass at such a high level. Um, and then bring in a Jim Nagy, who's been in the personnel departments of a bunch of different teams. He's a great evaluator. And we've had so many different general managers. Mike Holmgren's been on. Yep. Uh, we had Sean Springs on talking about corners. 
So it's it's just getting all these different voices and saying, okay, what do you look for right now? Which is fun, um, but to me, the most enjoyable thing is, okay, where is this headed? Yeah, you know, what, what's coming in the future, and uh, and that's what's been the most enjoyable thing for me. Yeah, and then you, obviously, while you're doing that, and you're also obviously getting ready for training camps. Mm-hmm. And you're doing your summer scouting, watching these guys for next year's NFL draft for the 2019 college football season. What is the mindset like when you're doing the summer scouting? How is it different than watching guys when you know this is the final product on film, when they have another 12, 13, 14 games maybe uh, to put on film? Sure. You know what? One of my mentors is Phil Savage, who you guys both know, and, yep. and Phil's now with the Jets. But uh, when I came up with the Baltimore Ravens, we, we called it spring scouting because you try and get a head start on the next year after the draft. Um, we usually do it for, for three or four weeks, and then you take your break before training camp starts. And, and I always remember it, it being a first-year guy. He talked about uh, – he said, this is like tennis racket scouting. And uh, I remember thinking, oh, that's kind of bizarre. Like, what does Phil mean yeah. by that? He's like, look – you're going to grind on these guys next year in the fall hard. This is kind of a deal where you're probably going to go play tennis later that afternoon. You've got your racket in your hand. You're kind of twirling your racket around. You've got your clicker going. You're watching. And, hey, you know, if I can come out of this summer uh, watching 50 guys, I was talking to Ben about this a little bit earlier, if I can watch 50 guys and I get a feel for where they line up, how they move around a little bit, and maybe, you know, a question I have on Mm. them coming into the fall, if I can come away with those three things – I, you know, for me, I feel like I'm ahead of the curve at that point in time. Trying to trying to jam through a couple hundred players in the summer, right? You you you'll be exhausted by the time we get to the draft next year. You just can't do it. Yep. You know, it's an exciting time to study in the summer because it's a blank slate. They're new presents, right? No I, question. I think it'll be like Christmas. Like I can't wait. To, this is, I don't unknown. The narrative really there. hasn't been set. Kind yep. of the national media and all the draft nicks out there online yeah. really are you know a step behind the curve of. So NFL do you try? Scouts. Do you try and tune that out because? That's the way I am. At the best that you can, which is yeah. tough because obviously the presence of getting ahead and the next year's draft is, you know, it's such a uh, eager aspect for fans. You always want to know who's next. Yeah. So getting ahead is a little bit more challenging to turn off all that noise. Yeah. But that first time you put on a player's tape that you it's really fun. have no opinion over, that blank slate is really fun just to put some uh, drawings on the canvas. I'm afraid I'm watching walking around the field today. Yeah, like, I can remember. This is how fast it's changed. So Lane Johnson, I think, was 2013. 2013, yeah. yep. So at that time, I had just gone in the media, so I'm okay. maybe a year yep. in. And uh, this is in the middle of the season, and I get a call from a buddy in the league that's like, dude, you got to watch this tackle at Oklahoma. It's unbelievable. So I turn him on, and this is – I mean, they've played five games right, at Oklahoma. Sure. And so I go into the office. I go into NFL Network. Going to them, I'm like, dude, this tackle, blah, blah, blah. They're like, never heard of him. Like, <laughs> nobody knew who this guy was. Like, th- you could actually have somebody that was hidden. And now there's so many people who, who do a really good yeah, job sure. covering the draft that, um, you know, it's rare to go into a season and not know who who someone is. So it's it's just picked up so much steam. But I, I do try and tune it out. Yep. Like, give me a name. I, I love names. Give me the yes, names. Right. right. But I don't want to know what anybody thinks about any of these guys until I can see them and get my own opinion. I even don't even – I don't want to hear the guy do an interview. Like, you just had uh, – you guys were at Pac-12 yeah, Media Days, yeah. and you talked with LaVisca Cheneau, yeah. uh, the wide receiver from Colorado. I was like, all right, I'm going to put off listening to this podcast <laughs> until I watch them, and then I'm going to go and listen. There you go. Um, let me ask you this question. Uh, do you feel like you're more optimistic? Like you look at guys like half glass full or half, glass half full as opposed to half empty this time of year? You know, I I want to do that. I think that's the proper way to do yep. it is to find out what guys can do. But human nature is, and you guys know this well, when you are watching other players and you're just peeking at guys and they mm-hmm. flash at you and you're like, oh, I cannot wait to watch this guy. <laughs> I remember the, the two unbelievable catches yep. he made when I was watching his teammate. 
And then you go start grinding on the tape, and you're like, yeah, yeah. Right. Those are kind of. I saw the flashes, but I didn't right. study them down in and down out. So um, you try and fight against that a little bit. But just like meeting people, that first impression could kind of stick with you. And True. sometimes you watch that one or two plays, you develop a mindset on what you think that player is, yeah. and then you're just battling yourself in your eyes and getting out of that kind of that rut of your opinion. So I'll give you an example on that. So I watched a little bit of uh, Dante Jackson. Okay. Um, his whatever would have been his sophomore year, I guess, at LA. You mm-hmm. and yep. loved him, right? He was twitched up and he was driving on everything, making all kinds of plays. And then you watch him the next fall. He didn't didn't look like the same guy. Didn't play mm-hmm. as well, but you're able to have some conviction knowing, okay, I've seen this guy's explosive. He he can make plays on the ball. I think he's tough, even though he's little. Um, so you kind of held on to that, and then you're able to weather the storm. And then sure enough, by the time we get to the draft, it kind of <laughs> mostly comes right. back to what right. you saw in that first impression. That's Something what, that uh, Jim Nagy had said on your podcast a couple months ago was right. you have to give them a chance to get better, too. Yeah. And sometimes I get so stuck in my opinion watching them from a previous season. You forget these are kids. These are young 20s. You know, they get stronger. They get faster. They get, you know, more cerebral, you know, between the ears. You always have to leave a little bit of room for them to improve their game as well. 100%. I mean, there's... And that, that to me is the fun thing is when you see a guy and then you see him early in the season, you're like, oh, okay. And then you see him in the middle of the season, like you see this trend Whoa, line yeah. continue to take yeah. off. Uh, so I want to ask you about some specific guys, but let me first ask you the overarching one, yeah. uh, the, the toughest one to answer. You've probably watched you know, half a dozen guys or a dozen guys so yeah. far. Who's one that's really stood out to you? Well, I, I, you know, coming off of a year where I wasn't in love with corners, mm-hmm. and Ben, you might even have tweeted this out. I think I might have seen you tweet this out that you, we spent all last year trying to talk ourselves into yes. these yeah. corners, yep. right? Um, and then the first one that I watched in this class was Akuda at, yeah. uh, at Ohio State, and I'm like, okay, that's what it's supposed to be. Like. <laughs> you know, after you come off of a year <laughs> where it kind of yeah. blow, blow you away, but watching him, uh, watching Christian Fulton down mm-hmm. at LSU. Now those guys are different styles with yeah. how they play, but I think both those corners are better than any corner that I watched. Mm. Last year, so those guys were fun to watch. Uh, the receiver group is so it's deep, really it's good, so loaded. Yeah. Um, and and Jerry, it, to me, it's going to be a fun race to watch. I I think it's you know you've got Jerry Judy and you've got Lavisca Chenault. Now they could not be any more polar opposites yep. in terms of ability levels, uh, in terms of styles, I should say. Uh, and it feels and this is what this this is how insecure I am on this subject. But, uh, <laughs> It feels like shaping up to be kind of that Amari Cooper, um, mm. Kevin White discussion. Sure. Now I'm still going to go to my grave thinking if Kevin White didn't have foot <laughs> issues that maybe he could have turned into something. Sure, right. You know. Yep. But Lavisca Chenault is that height, weight, speed, 225 pounds. It's just he's a freak. And then you looked at Amari Cooper who was more polished as a route runner. So that to me, it's a framed a debate is framed very yep. similarly with him and Jerry Judy. I, and I love Jerry Judy, but man, the Alabama fans got so mad at me. <laughs> when I compared him to Robert Woods, right? Sure. You would think that Robert Woods is a terrible pro. <laughs> did I not? Did he not catch over like a thousand right, yards yeah. last year? Exactly. Eighty something. Maybe balls? not the sexiest name among fantasy yeah. football players, but Jeez. I tell you what: talk to any scouting department or any yeah. NFL circle. Robert Woods is a hell of a pro. Yeah, he's all oh, he is is a yeah. great route runner who catches everything. No question. You know, like geez, I know it's insulting right. Jerry by saying that. The uh, the crazy thing about Chenault is like. Line up in the slot, yeah. wildcat, running back. He's running counter and QB power. Mm. 
they kept him in a pass protection as like a wing tight well, end on like seven nine. Yeah. Like, uh, so hey. I talked to Mel Tucker. Uh, we interviewed him. But I talked to him off to the side, and I work with Mel in Cleveland. He's a great okay. guy, and he said, "You will not be seeing all that stuff." <laughs> I don't know if that's for public consumption, but he said he's gonna he's gonna take a lot of that stuff off yeah. of his plate, and they're gonna let him run more routes on the tree. Nice. They said he actually can run because that was my question. And that yep. was the the worry with Kevin White, no you doubt, know? And, and Corey Coleman. All these receivers that haven't made it was man, they just don't. It's it's post you know slant go, uh, you know hit. Like that's it. That's all that they run. So he's going to get a chance to do some more this year. Hey, uh, the more you can do for your team, whether it's pass pro or throw a couple yeah, passes. Right. Or, <laughs> when you see, what do you guys stand next to him though, man? He is all of 225 pounds. He is rocked. Up. Evan White's a good comp. We were just talking comps. He's such yeah. a unique skill set, yeah. size, speed. Obviously, Cordero Patterson was thrown yeah. around, and kind of the hybridy guys like Dexter McCluster. I'm, I'm telling you, like it's blasphemy because he's such a you know a transcendent player, but he's just, just a tick shorter than Julio Jones. But when you see him, that's who he looks like so physically. Like, that's what I told Ben. I said. He's like Sammy Watkins wrapped up in a Julio Jones package. <laughs> yeah, there you go, there you the go, way yeah. that he was used I like that. Uh, is crazy. Um, let me ask another receiver, CeeDee yep. Lamb, uh, Oklahoma. Oh, yeah. we, we all knew about Marquise Brown last year. Uh, CeeDee Lamb on the other side is a, is a hell of a player. Unbelievable hands and unbelievable ball skills. Just the ability to, whether it's on his back hip, whether he's got to climb the ladder, he can pluck it off of his shoes. He's just got incredibly strong hands. Um, I don't know if he's going to blow you away when he runs. I would guess he's going to be a 5'5", five, five, you know, 4 Five two four five five somewhere around there, um, but going to Oklahoma for their pro day last year and talking to different coaches, they love that kid. And every time there was a big play, they needed to have a play made. He made it. And mm. and going through this you know prototype series, that was kind of a theme in a lot of these different positions. Is we talk about it with quarterbacks. Mm. You know how do they do in crunch time? You know how does he do with third third and eight game on the line? Well, crap! They're not the only player on the field, right? <laughs> right how yeah. does how do the corners do in that situation? <laughs> you know how the rece- who yep. steps up. And CeeDee Lamb's been kind of the step-up guy for Oklahoma. Yeah, he's definitely showed up uh, in that Alabama game last year. Uh, DJ, that'll do it, man. This was uh, this was awesome. Really appreciate you stopping by uh, here for the Journey of the Draft podcast. Oh, I, I appreciate you guys having me. I just want to know if I had uh, like keeled over with like heat exhaustion. <laughs> I, I'd like to think Ben would have stepped up, but Fran, I'm thinking it would have been you. I'm always ready to go. I'm always <laughs> ready to go, right? <laughs> you know, he's like, gosh, DJ, had we were doing all these XOs last year. He looks like he's not breathing anymore. That's a shame. <laughs> my, my January just got a lot easier. Right. Appreciate it, DJ. Hi, guys. Well, really fun episode this week. Great information from Tony Pauline, obviously, and then Daniel Jeremiah, really gracious with his time joining us here uh, at the NovaCare Complex for his time during training camp. Now, next week... We're talking some big boys now. We've got the SEC next week. Tony Pauline will be back. Ben Fennell will be back, as always. So we'll be talking all the top players in the Southeastern Conference. A lot of people think that's the best conference in all of college football. We'll tell you who you need to watch down south. That'll do it for this week on the Journey to the Draft podcast.